Are you? Well, I hope you'll uh, come back if this is your first Sunday, because uh, Jerry's a good preacher. I'm probably more of a storyteller, but I love to share God's Word, and I love uh, just being with you this morning. Um, I want to bring greetings on behalf of the district office. Um, I have served in the district for almost 13 years, and so it's been interesting watching how God uses uh, the different churches. I work with 100 churches like yours, so I get to travel the state about 30,000 miles. So one prayer request that I would ask is to pray for our staff as we are on the road a lot. I want to introduce my family to you. Um, you can see my wife Nancy there. We've been married uh, for 30, coming up on 33 years and uh, next to me, on, be on my, my left, but on, if we look up there on the right, that's Melinda, my daughter. She's my oldest. She's 30. And then uh, Jonathan on the left, uh, of course, Jerry introduced. I really appreciate it. I just want to say, Jerry, you've been a great discipler and a mentor. Jonathan really valued a lot from being here. Jonathan and Brittany both enjoyed the bridge in its early days and both served and really enjoyed. And I know, Sue, you spent a lot of time uh, with Brittany also. They're expecting their second. That'll be our number five grandchild. And we have three uh, with uh, Mindy and also PJ. PJ and Mindy live in the Wausau area. This morning, as I come, I want to talk to you about your story. And then I want to walk through a passage in Scripture. But I thought some of you probably don't know me. Um, I have someone from my youth group in Wausau here this morning, Amanda. I looked over and I went, man, I recognize that girl. How do I know her? And you can hear some good stories from Amanda about um, being in my youth group and someone also in the children's ministry. So I want to talk a little bit about how did I end up where I am? Because each of you has a story that God is working through right now where you are. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. At age four, I love going to Sunday school like the kids go to or a children's church. My four, my, at four years old, my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Holman, she told me about Jesus and heaven, which I loved. But she also told me about hell, and I was like, whoa, I had not heard that before. So I was pretty scared, of course, as you can imagine. And so what I ended up doing is I talked to her for a while and said, how do I end up with Jesus in heaven? You can imagine those are the two favorite words for children is Jesus and heaven. And I wanted to end up there. And so uh, she talked me through uh, that I was a sinner, didn't understand totally all that. And then she described how I could be with Jesus in heaven. And by the time I got home, I told my mom and dad, I said, this is really important, mom and dad. I got to figure this out. I don't know where each of you stand with God, but you want to know where you're headed when you leave this world. A lot of people don't think about that. The other day I asked the guy, I said, have you ever thought about the next life? And he goes, frankly, no. Because see, I don't tell people I'm a pastor. Because if they hear that, they go, oh, and everything changes. The whole conversation changes. So I tell them I help people prepare for the next life. And they go, oh. And then they look at me and they go, are you a funeral director? I go, no, no. Are you a life insurance salesman? And I go, no, that's a good question. I'm into transitions. And then I usually tell them I'm a pastor, and then I get the eyebrow raised, you know. But it's interesting. I don't know if you've thought about the next life, but a lot of people haven't. And so for me at age four, I got home. I said, Mom, Dad, I want to take care of this now. And I remember by my ugly green footstool, I just remember this vividly, I asked Jesus to forgive my sin and to come into my heart and be my Savior. And I think as I grew, I started to understand what that commitment really meant. And so let me just walk you through. I went to a very conservative church, and so a lot of rules. And so as I was growing up, felt very 
oh, just, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. And you get a little tired of Christianity, you feel like, because it's all rules. That's not really what Christianity is about, but we think of it that way. Age 15, I have an opportunity to go to a party in high school. Man, I wanted to do that because I never could go and be with the in crowd. And so at age 15, I lied to my parents on a Friday night, headed off to the party, and I got about halfway there, and my friend handed me a $20 bill, and he said, I'm like, dude, what's this for? And he goes, oh, I want you to buy the beer for the party. And I'm like, oh, great. I don't get this at all. Looked up at God, kind of ticked off and said, God, couldn't I have one night off? And I just felt the weight on my shoulders, kind of the devil on one side and, and uh, Jesus on the other side. Or, and, and then I realized it was my mom in the back of my head yelling, Robbie, run from evil. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming to me. And I didn't know what to do. I frankly just wanted to be part of the in crowd. But I knew that that was a key moment for me. I think every one of us has a fork in the road experience that we need to figure out. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to go my own way and realize I've got to come back to that point? And so that night I handed the money back. I did the right thing. Didn't feel the right, like it was the right thing. Called my parents from my aunt's house. Went home. They were so proud of me and then proceeded to ground me for a week. I, des- I deserved it, and, and it was good. I learned a lot. Fast forward, Monday morning at school, rejected. Oh, wise, you couldn't pull the big one off. You couldn't be a part of us. And for that, from that on, I was never part of the in crowd. So I thought, you know what? Why not start a Bible study in high school? We didn't have FCA. So I asked my choir director, can we start a Bible study in your room? And he goes, Sure. So we put up signs, prayer and praise session in the morning and started inviting all my friends. And they would all make fun of me. We probably had five to seven of us that would meet. For me, it was an important time in high school that I stood for Jesus, did the right thing. Graduated from high school, had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. You ever been there? You know what the number one uh, major in college is right now? Undecided. That's what I'm finding out. In fact, a lot of young people are waiting to really declare or even go into college because they don't know. So for me, my grandfather said, you ought to go into computers. There's a lot of money in that. And I thought, hmm, that's a good idea. Didn't think through my personality because that ought to match. So I went to school, got a two-year programming degree from the tech. And in the middle of that, I had met my wife, Nancy, and we got married. And uh, I was 19. Man, was I young. I wouldn't recommend it, but it's turned out great. And I just think, you know, sometimes we don't think through things as well. And we've learned how to love each other in many ways. Um, And so... um, Finished college at at this tech school and then realized computers, cubicle, this doesn't fit me at all. I love relationships. And so my wife said, why don't you sell computers? So I did that for about, uh, let's see, one year. And then I did radio advertising for four years. That was a hard sale. And then I did battery sales. So 15 years of sales. And man, in the middle of that, God was also using me as a volunteer like many of you were and are serving in the children's ministry. I was serving at Bible camp. I was doing all these things that I absolutely loved and started hearing this call from God. And I didn't know how to navigate. What does that look like? You know, and we didn't know what it meant to be called into ministry full-time. I, I, I want to encourage us. We're all in full-time ministry. Don't hear me for what I'm saying. Wherever God has you is what he's called you to do. So we had a weird experience have any of you heard of Oscar from Guatemala? Yeah, Ruth knows him, right? From districts. Well, it was interesting. So I saw this ad in a newspaper. It said, host family needed for exchange student. Anybody hosted an exchange student? 
Anybody? A couple of you? Good. It, it's a really unique experience. So I responded after seeing this ad six times. Takes me a little slower sometimes to hear what God wants, you know. So we go to this meeting, and we get to the meeting, and they set this folder down in front of us. And it says, welcome, you are now a host family. And I get this big elbow from my wife saying, what did you sign us up for? And I said, honey, honey, I just, we were just going to check this out. Well, you looked at the picture inside, and we wanted a female because I was on the road a lot. Here it was a male. His name was Oscar. Uh, he was from Guatemala. He looked like a terrorist. You know how those passport pictures look? But something got our attention. It said evangelist. It should have said evangelical, but evangelist. It turns out he really is an evangelist. And Oscar was in our house two weeks later. So we're sitting at the table Hola, como estas? I mean, hi, hello. It was just very, with a book, learning English and Spanish together. And the first night he's there, we look over, and my wife was smart. She wrote this letter in, Span- in English and had it translated into Spanish. So he's reading this whole letter. And all of a sudden, because we're talking about our family, our faith, our values, all those things. And all of a sudden, the tears start to come down his face. We're like, oh, great, we've offended him already. He's homesick. What's going on? Well, they were tears of joy because he, his family, and his church have been praying that God would send him to a Christian home in the United States. Poor guy. He ends up in northern Wisconsin in Wausau. Uh, mucho nieve, snow, and, and mucho frío, very cold. And so the next two years while he was there, we began a ministry, not only to him, but to 32 students from all over Central America, South America, and the islands. We saw 12 come to Christ, and then we started bringing them to our church. We weren't at the free church yet, and we brought them to this very conservative place, and they would fall asleep. So we knew this probably wasn't the best place, and so this lady by the name of Linda Gotchuk, Amanda knows Linda, don't you? And Linda invited us to come up to the free church. We're like, what's a free church? We had no idea what that was. We sure found out we love the free church. And when we got up there, we fell in love with uh, Ken Moberg. If you've heard that name, he used to be our superintendent. Ken was there and Tina. They made us feel very welcome. And for the next two years, we did ministry with these uh, students, and they were coming with us up to the free church. Well, you get there, and within a year, guess what Ken Moberg asked me? Hey, have you ever thought about doing ministry full-time? And I'm like, hmm, kind of, but I'm a sales guy. I don't have a biblical like, degree. And he goes, yeah, but you've been learning the Bible since you were four years old. And so we prayed about it, went to a conference where Bill Hybels was at, and Bill looked me straight in the eye. I felt like he was talking to me. God used this, and he said, if you're not doing what God's called you to do, why haven't you done it yet? And I knew immediately. Tears came down my face. I called Nancy. I said, we're doing full-time ministry. She says, where? And I go, I don't know. I have no idea. So we sent out applications nationwide. It came down to three locations, Wausau, Kearney, Nebraska, and Roy, Utah. Boy, was the, the one in Roy, Utah, quite the interview process. They had a 30-page uh, paper I had to write on my faith and understanding the Mormon faith. Very, very interesting how they wanted to make sure they had the right person. Well, Wasa hired us, and this was back in 97, and began as the children's and youth pastor. So my first Sunday there, the nursery coordinator quit. She was exhausted. So all of a sudden, I'm doing from birth to college age. We had about 200. In the first year, we saw the church grow by 200. Just a lot of things going on at the church. So we loved ministry at Wasa and just were there uh, for a total of seven years. And about three-quarters of the way through that, I talked to a guy by the name of Chris Cry. I don't know if anybody knows Chris. Chris was in lacrosse, And Chris, I said to him, he was directing districts. 
And I, man, I love that conference. I'm like, Chris, if you ever need help, let me know. I'd love to be a part of that. So all of a sudden, six months later, Chris calls me. He says, hey, uh, Rob, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be quitting uh, as districts, and I want you to take over as the director. And I said, wait a minute, I just wanted to help. I didn't want to direct. So we prayed about it, and we, threw in, and we took over districts. That was in year 2000. And Chris today is still a multi-ethnic church planter in La Crosse. And it's exciting to see what God is doing in and through him there. So we started there. And then about year three of this, I'm doing... Uh, youth pastor slash districts, and the thing was growing and couldn't keep up anymore. And the district said, let's hire somebody to be our full-time director of student ministries. Oh, that's a great idea. I could get back to being the youth pastor. And then I started asking all the guys that I knew that should consider this. They said, no, we're not the right one. You are. And all the you know, thoughts I had, it was like, wow. So all of a sudden, we start praying, and they hired us uh, in 2003, to be the director of student and family ministries, coming alongside of churches in the area of student and family ministries and directing districts. And so, oh, and by the way, they said, you get to raise support for your position too. That was a great thing. My wife was like, what? And God has been great, really faithful for us. All the churches of our district have been great in supporting our staff. And in 2015, just to give a quick update, as Jerry said, I jumped into church health. I trained a guy to be our next director of student ministries, and unfortunately, Tim had to resign in this past year, and so I'm back doing student and family ministries and district events, pastors' conferences, things like that, and we're praying about a part-time or interim um, church health director, and also you can be praying. We are looking at hiring a new district superintendent that would oversee uh, the district. Wow, take a breath. That was my quick testimony and because I, I still want to get into the Word, but I want to show you a video. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to watch this video about the church who needs it. Let's pray. God, thank you for not only my testimony, but the testimony of those that are out here. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to die for us. Lord, we just want to be your church. Lord, we want to reach out to those in our community. I'm excited about next week as the bridge would look at this community during this marathon and find ways to build relationships with people who need you. There are many people in this world that need you, Jesus. May we be the light uh, and may we point them to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. 
Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen in Felton Church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. If you have a Bible, open up to Acts, uh, the book of Acts for me. And while you're doing that, I just want to give a little background. The book of Acts is the history of the birth, founding, and spread of the church from Jerusalem to Rome. It also chronicles the transition of the church from being an exclusively Jewish institution into becoming uh, a Gentile and international institution and spreading of the gospel of salvation that's for all people. This morning I would like to look at Acts chapter 16. Uh, just a little background on that. During Paul and Silas's second missionary journey, the Holy Spirit instructs them where they should go from city to city, starting and encouraging churches. Paul picked up Timothy and mentored him, which I love that example. Who is it that God has called each of us to have in our life that we can mentor? And it shows us the word disciple-making, what it looked like. They spoke with Lydia, and she came to Christ and her entire family, except to Jesus. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 16. It says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, love that word, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing the city. Are they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order... He, the jailer, put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Now the story gets interesting. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. I love this story. It's one of my favorite uh, New Testament stories. Um, I don't know if you quite get the beginning of this. Paul and Silas, they're out you know, in the community and they meet this girl who's demon-possessed and she keeps hounding them and saying, these are the servants of the Most High God. A demon's saying this about them. And after a while, you kind of have to be kind of, you know, you're like annoyed is what it says here. And after a couple of days, now keep in mind, she was making a lot of money for her owners. That was why her owners liked this because she was a fortune teller. I don't know how much you and I deal with demon possession. I believe it's real. There's a lot of spirit world out there. And it's a difficult subject. It's one we can spend a lot of time on at some point. I just know this, that the power of Jesus and his blood is more powerful than the enemy. And so Paul, after getting very annoyed, he turns and he basically says, come out of her. And immediately the demon leaves her. This is an interesting, let's go to verse... 19, it says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And so then the crowd joins in. That's not true, all of that. What was true was they had lost their opportunity to make money, and they were mad. And so they were creating this whole thing. So the crowd rises up and throws them into jail, and they're arrested. Let's go down to verse 25 again and read this beginning part. And as I said before, the story changes because, in my mind, this is where the power of the church is at work. I'm sure that the churches that Paul and Silas had been praying with and and visiting are now praying for them because they heard they were in prison. And that's what we could do as the local church is to pray for one another. And so verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Stop. What? Wait a minute. If you and I were thrown in prison, are you going to be singing praises to God? I can't even imagine that that would be, what would I be doing? I'd be like frustrated. Paul and Silas realized they had a mission. Who do you think their mission was? The jailer. And at first, I didn't realize this when I was younger. And when I read this story, I realized the jailer was the mission. So you and I would be complaining and frustrated, not getting it. Paul and Silas weren't complaining at all because they understood the role of why they were going through what they were going through. See, here's the hard part for us. Our faith gets stretched often when a, when a circumstance comes up in our life. And the first thing we choose to do is, why would God do that to me? We want to blame God. I, you and I have heard that. Rather than capturing that thought and saying, wait a minute, God, what do you want to do through this? And so Paul and Silas look at this. It gives the opportunity for the churches to get behind Paul and Silas and pray. So they're praying and they understood their mission. And then in verse 26, how are their, answer, how are their prayers answered? It said, suddenly there's a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. 
So earthquake comes. That's an answer to prayer. So what are you going to do? What am I going to do? I'm probably going to run out as quick as I can and get out of there, right? So verse 27 says, When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why would he kill himself? Because he knew that if they got out, they would kill him. So he was just going to kill himself. Verse 28, Paul then cried out with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we're all here. And the, tr- and the jailer comes in trembling. With fear, he falls down before Paul and Silas. And then he says something that just blows me away. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Whoa. Man, I, didn't, I couldn't have scripted this thing at all. When you back up and think about this, first of all, I think I would have ran out like most of you. But Paul and Silas understood their mission. They had been working alongside of these people, so to speak, in the prison. They had been seeing what's going on. And it says all the people stayed. I bet they wanted to see what was going to happen next. Because they understood, and I'm guessing this, I'm, I'm sure they saw things happening with Paul and Silas. were like, wow, these men are servants of the Most High God. And they're seeing all of this ha- happen. Verse 31, how does Paul respond? They say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Let me back up for a minute. This story, you ever watch a movie and they have those alternative endings or the different endings that you can watch? This could have been very, very different when you think about it. The jailer could have succeeded and took his life and Paul and Silas could have ran out and been over and they would have gotten away. But that was not God's plan for this one. Paul and Silas, I'm so glad they were submissive. Sometimes I wonder, am I really listening to God and what he wants for me to do? Or am I too stuck in what I'm not happy about? Or I'm complaining about that I've got some physical condition or I've got some kind of a spiritual thing going on or I've got a, a, somebody that's mad at me. I can't get this. I don't understand it. Somebody shared this a couple of weeks ago with me and it really, really helped me. Where does true joy come from? Joy comes from knowing Jesus. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, I love when he says, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. I'm like, wait a minute, joy? What does that mean? Joy means that things are set with God, and so the joy, they, no one can take this away from me. When I accepted Jesus at age four, I helped get things set with God and that I wanted him to forgive my sin so that I could be his child. I think it's so hard for us to understand that's joy. And so no matter how bad things get, we have this relationship with Jesus, that's the joy. The second part of this is my happiness is going to ebb and flow based on circumstances. That happens. That's part of life. You're going to have relationships in your family. You're going to have relationships in school. You're going to have relationships with with lots of people that aren't going to always be perfect. Or maybe you've got cancer. Or maybe you've got some kind of an infection. You look at yourself and you go, I don't get this. Sometimes we don't get it until later. And I think what's interesting, Paul and Silas got their mission. They understood why they were thrown into prison, and they worked through this. Let's move forward and see what happens to the family. So they spoke the word of the Lord to them, and they were in his house, and he took them the same hour the jailer did and washed their wounds, and they were all baptized at once, all in their family. Then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Wow, what a story. I just look at this story and I get goosebumps because 
When you share Jesus, it's not going to always happen this good. You're going to get rejected. People aren't going to like it. But you know what? Our job is to be faithful, to, to sow the seeds, to be seed flingers, someone told me. Just keep putting the seeds out there, and maybe someone will see something in you. When I look at the story, I love the sovereignty of God and how he, if we are aware of his leading in our life, he's got a bigger plan than we understand. This morning, I'd like to apply this to the local church. It's kind of an interesting scenario because I started off with the title of this message is The Church Who Needs It. If you open up your bulletin, I've got some common answers why people go to church. Let me just say this as I, as I start this section. On a given Sunday, only 17.7% of the U.S. population go to a church of some kind. People aren't necessarily looking to go to church anymore, okay? But those that do go to church, we still have some that do. Here's some common answers that I hear of people. First of all, to meet my needs, to make me feel good, to entertain me and not bore me, to be in a place that's comfortable for me. My parents make me go. I feel guilty if I don't go. If I go, I have a better chance of going to heaven. There's some people that think that. They really believe that the more good things they do, the better chance they have of going to heaven. How much sin does it take us from getting to heaven? One sin. And that's why we need Jesus to forgive our sin and take care of that. He was our substitute on the cross. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have I done that? So I remember back to when I was young, and it helps me thinking here to where I am today, following Jesus is truly worth it. Let me talk about some facts from surveys. The top seven reasons why people attend church, according to Gallup, 23% for spiritual growth and guidance, 20% keeps me grounded and guided, 15% it's my faith, 15% to worship God, the fellowship of other members, the community, believe in God and religion, brought up that way, tradition. Let's look at Tom Rainer. He gave the top 13 reasons that unchurched people choose a church. First is pastor and preaching doctrines, friendliness of members, other issues, someone at church witnessed to me, a family member, I sensed God's presence and atmosphere of the church, a relationship other than a family member, Sunday school class, children's and youth ministry, other groups and ministries, worship style, and location. Let me just switch for a little bit. So those are reasons why people go to church and why the unchurched come to church. So what is the mission of the church? We watched a really nice video that talked about a lot of the history of the church. When you and I look at the business world as a model, which I worked in for 15 years, they have mission statements. Most businesses do. The mission explains why the organization exists, and it communicates what they do, how and why they do it, and where they do it. For example, the Walt Disney Company. Here's what their mission statement is. Walt Disney Company exists to be one of the world's leading producers and providers of entertainment and information. Man, you know why they exist. Entertainment and information. The American Red Cross, their mission statement is a humanitarian organization that exists to provide relief to victims of disaster and help people prevent, prepare for, and respond to emergencies. So, So prevent, prepare for, and respond to emergencies. Very clear mission. The church, of course, is not a business, but I believe that we are unique in that we are commissioned by Jesus and sent into the world on his mission. 
Now, if we look at the mission of the Bridge Church, I took this off of your website. It says, our mission is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. That's out of Matthew 18, or I'm sorry, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Your vision statement, which I love, you know what a vision statement is? These are some action steps in the next three to five years we want to try to do to make a difference. So here's the vision statement you have. We dream of a church where people seek to be uh, good news as they share the good news. We dream of a church in which every Christ follower is taking intentional steps towards full devotion to Christ. We dream of a church known by our community for its loving attitude and commitment to serving others. We dream of a church where leaders are raised up and trained, uh, <clears throat> and trained to have an impact locally and globally to further Christ's kingdom. We dream of a church where servant leaders humbly lead ministries with excellence and alignment with our mission and values. We dream of a church where people's hearts are continually expanding for both local and global missions. We dream of a church that plants other disciple-making churches with ever-expanding regional influence. And finally, we dream of a church with facilities that will one day be home to an expanding ministry for all ages. Love that. Those are some things that you're trying to do next week. Guys, I got to tell you what, that's not normal. To, to cancel Sunday morning? What are you thinking? Come on, Sunday morning, we got to be at church. You know what? Church has to be different for the world that we live in now. We got to find ways to do it Saturday night and then let's go serve on Sunday morning. Boy, when I grew up, that'd be like, oh boy, we could never do that. But what you're trying to do is live it out. You're trying to specifically say, how do we live out what we say in this community? You know, a lot of what we do now in the church, a lot of people think, bring people to church. And that's great. But the arrow has to point out. And the job is to give each of you your marching orders when you leave here to go into your sphere of influence and to ask people that you're in relationship with about their relationship with Jesus. It may mean that you live it out. It may mean you just don't say anything in terms of words. You know, have you ever heard that? Somebody says something about... Preach the gospel, and if needed, use words. And a lot of times it's our life that we live. So why do we exist as a church? Let me give you a couple of reasons, my thoughts, and how do we measure success. This comes some verses right out of the Bible. Number one is to glorify God. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, to all to the glory of God. We've got to glorify God in the church. That's a hard thing because some people don't glorify God in their churches. Come with me around the district, and let me show you what church conflict is like. And I want my way, and out with the worship wars. And let me tell you what, conflict, I was in church health for one year, but with the district 12 years, you will see where people don't glorify God in their churches because they don't go to one another when they have an issue. They worry, this is my church, I've given all this money, and so I want my way. That's not glorifying God. We need to be about glorifying God and having healthy relationships. Number two, worship God. Psalm 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said, let's go into the house of the Lord. We exist to passionately and celebrate the Lord. Worshiping God, this is a part of your worship. When you break bread together and have communion, that's another But when you leave here, 24-7 worshiping God. Number three, fellowship and community with other believers. 1 John 3.18 says, show love through actions. The best expression of love is time. Community groups, um, we all need support. Someone that we can depend on that will hold us accountable and love us. Number four, disciple making. Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20. Part of your mission statement. Make mature 
and multiply disciples who make more disciples. It doesn't say go and make converts. It says go and make disciples. And it's a multiplication factor. When you work with someone, you ask them, who are they sharing Christ with? Number five, evangelism. Matthew 9, 37 and 38. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. The key is sharing the gospel. How do you engage with your neighbors and community? I'm going to tell you, this is the hardest thing. My wife and I are complete opposites. I'm an extrovert. No, no surprise, huh? My wife, she's an introvert. I remember her asking me, what do I do as an introvert? I'm so quiet. How do I share Jesus with people? And I started to realize she has this great hospitality gift. And one-on-one, and those are the areas now that she is beginning to really understand what that's like. You can share gospel through that. Just use what God has given you. How do I do it? (laughs) You'll laugh because I like to do a lot of different things. I mentioned to you earlier that I never admit to anyone that I'm a pastor. I usually start off with, I help people prepare for the next life, and it opens up an opportunity. I have refereed for 32 years high school sports. You might laugh, say, wow, that's pretty affirming. Uh, It sometimes isn't. But let me tell you something. As a referee, here's what I do. I typically get to know the kids. I get to know the coaches. Yesterday, I'm in Stevens Point. I've got a girls' fast-pitch softball game. And I'm talking to the coach, getting to know him. He's known me for a lot of years. He came and gave me a hug yesterday. I'm like, Tom, dude, what are you doing? Usually he's like the most fiery coach in one of the state teams. Tom said, I love when I get you guys to ref. You're the cool ref. And I'm like, what? And I'm starting to realize the cool ref is a good term because I do that when I do junior high basketball too. Some of the junior high kids, you know, I used to hand out fireballs to them, you know, those hot cinnamon little fireballs. I'd hand those out to some of the kids. I said, you can't eat them now. But it was interesting as you build relationships in the context of where you're at. And so I've used that. I've had coaches ask me to pray for them. So what does it look like for you? Another area that I do, I play softball with old guys, mature guys. I call it that rather. We have a league that's over 45-year-old guys. My fifth grade teacher is 74 years old. He's still playing softball yet. Fred can hit the ball yet. He goes pretty slow, but it's been so cool. One of the guys had heart surgery done. We never prayed before or after. And I asked the guys, could we pray him around, around the mound? And you know what? They were all like, yeah. So we prayed for dupes that night. He came back in two weeks, heard we'd prayed for him, you know. And he was amazed. So now he's leading our prayers in terms of getting everybody there. He'd call himself, you know, not, not a very good, you know, religious man. But he says, I know how to pray. And I know, Pastor Rob, will you pray for us? And so we get around the mountain and we pray. I've seen more marriage counseling starting to happen. Guys who need just somebody to come alongside of them. Playing softball bus driving, whatever. I see different pastors, different ministries. All of you are commissioned, as we talk about evangelism, to go into the world and make disciples, build relationships. And then the last one, number six, is to serve. Matthew 20, verses 27, 28 says, we exist to serve others by demonstrating God's love. Service isn't an option. It's like you're doing next week. The Messiah did not come to be served, but to serve. So that's why I love the local church, because all the things that we can bring to a community. The church is not the building. I know you guys are even looking at that at some point. Not the temple. It's not the location. The church is all of us that have chosen to follow Christ. So my question as I started off, or the statement I started with was, the church, who needs it? We all need it. We all need it. Will you stand with me? We're going to read something together that Ken Moberg wrote for the congregation of Wassa that I love. And it really talks about what we do together. Will you join me in, 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 in saying this? It also is in your bulletin. 
we are one in Christ, we recognize that this one fact outweighs all of our differences and that there is nothing in this world that is stronger than the love of Christ which unites us. By God's grace, we now pledge that we will live united in this love towards one another, affirming one another and praying for one another. As a community of redeemed people, may God give us the humility to consider one another's needs before our own, to accept one another without qualification, and to look past each other's weaknesses, knowing that we all stumble in many ways. And may he grant us the capacity to identify the talents and abilities he has given us, as well as the willingness to apply them so that the body of Christ may be built up and that we may work together for the glory of God until Jesus comes or calls us home. Let's pray. God, thank you for encouraging our hearts this morning. Each of us has a testimony, a story, and a story that you're continuing to write in our hearts. Thank you for, God, your son, Jesus. We know we are separated from you, God, because of our sin, but Jesus is our substitution when he died on the cross. And I thank you that, God, we can ask Jesus, your son, to be our substitute and forgive us of our sin so that we can have a relationship with God and be with you forever in heaven. God, I pray for those that are in this crowd this morning here in this congregation. I pray for a blessing on each one. Maybe, Lord, someone needs just an encouraging word or maybe they just need something or someone to come alongside. I pray that we would be the church and that we would love one another. God, thank you for being together. Thank you that we do have a future with you in heaven. And thank you that the local church, Lord, can be your hands and feet to this community. I pray a blessing over Pastor Jerry and Sue and the elders and the leaders of the church. May you continue to see what you want them to see in the vision of reaching this area. It's in your name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.